Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fast and Loose Untold Talks of Spider-Man. This is the podcast where I, Matthew Derrigish, and my co-host, Kane Winstead, take a look at the deep cuts and forgotten stories of the Spider-Man library, looking for lost gems and what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. This is your premier podcast for discussing the lesser-reviewed stories of Spider-Man's past. Kane, how are you doing today? I am doing great. I am still unpacking from my 500 plus mile move. So I'm ready to talk about Spider-Man comics and not look at cardboard boxes. That sounds great. I feel like you were doing that the last episode we recorded as well. That's possible because we just finished recording that episode. Oh my gosh. (laughs) All right. Today we are discussing Family Business, an original graphic novel with Story by James Robinson and Mark Wade. Art by Gabrielle Del Otto and Werther Del Etera. Letters by Joe Carmenga and cover by Gabrielle Del Otto. All pronunciations suspect at the very best. <laughs> I don't know, James Robinson, I think I think you messed that one up pretty pretty bad. For those wondering, this gem retailed at a whopping $25. And this is not just another simple issue of Spider-Man. Like I said, this is an original graphic novel that released with a trailer to wet our whistles for this comic book event, which I believe not only sets the tone, but also allows us to cover the overall plot of the story. So yeah, let's get to it. Secret agents dedicating their lives to protecting the world. Peter Parker's parents disappeared on their last mission. They left behind a son they'd never see grow up into the amazing Spider-Man. Now, Peter Parker has been targeted by a hidden evil, but he won't face it alone. Who are you? My name is Teresa Parker. I'm your sister. So yeah, how about that trailer? Um, anyway, as as Matt mentioned, uh, this did retail at $25, though it really doesn't anymore. I have never seen this, like a physical copy of this comic exist outside of a clearance bin. I think I picked mine up for $4. Um, you can get it digitally from Marvel for, I think, $20 or part of their subscription service on Marvel Unlimited. It's also available on Comixology. And then, like I said, available in all fine clearance bins at your local, uh, LCS. Local, local LCS. Anyway. So before we dive into the story proper, I wanted to ask you, Kane, how you felt about some of the, uh flair that this graphic novel presented going in with uh the foreword by dan slot and some of the little tidbits at the end i mean i think that's what originally drew my eye to this uh that and the fact that it was four dollars the cover is really interesting and it's a very different 
you know, it, it's it's not your typical cover that's looking to hook you in through some sort of gimmick or, you know, like going back to our web of Spider-Man, you know, Marco standing over Spider-Man saying, I killed Spider-Man, like when he clearly didn't kill Spider-Man. So I, th- I think the, the presentation is really, really nice. And it's very style uh, stylish on the inside. the The, the forward by Dan Slott, you know, as far as the forward goes, it's I mean, it's lip service to the comic I already bought. Um, it's not really anything that's enlightening, but uh, it was a nice touch. Just kind of, uh, it, it starts out. I think the quote is like, "If you're going to tell me a Spider-Man story, tell me a good one," or something like that. Um, which I think is funny from a guy who wrote Spider-Verse. Uh, hashtag shots fired. Oh man! <laughs> as far as like the presentation goes, as a graphic novel, something that's supposed to have like a prestige. Uh, I think this is this definitely sells that. You know, it's it's oversized. It's about like ninety ish pages. Um, it's it's a good graphic novel. Yeah, I agree. I I think the um, end caps with the spider eyes are a really nice touch. And this is printed without a slip cover. This is just kind of their dusted uh, hardback. And you can also get this in a soft cover. Not that that's normally such a big deal, but I think for this offering, that's an interesting thing that they did. And this is mostly just a beautiful printing. The only problem is when you start to get to the center of the graphic novel, you definitely see a little bit of gutter loss for any page spreads that come across which i thought was kind of peculiar for something that's supposed to be such a prestigious print uh you know i didn't notice that like like i said i just got done with a move so my comics most of my comics are actually still being shipped here via a shipping container so i actually had to read this on unlimited so i didn't have that issue but but yeah that, that, that is a little disappointing and I could definitely see, especially some of these spreads, which were gorgeous, by the way, um, how that would be a bit disappointing to to lose some of that detail. Right. When it comes to Del Otto's work, uh, h- how did you feel about that with a painted Spider-Man story? There are a few other graphic novels from Spider-Man that have like painted painted panels, uh, like uh, Hooky and oh shoot what's the one with mary jane owning a castle what's that one called yeah i can't remember anyway mary jane owns a castle they go to the highlands in scotland it's it's a gorgeous comic what i'm saying is this comes from a great tradition of gorgeous hand-painted spider-man graphic novels and it stands right up there with with uh the rest of them it's an absolute treat to look at some of my favorite ones are when Spider-Man's fighting the um, laundry detergent bandits, which is a real thing. With him landing on the hood of the car and with the rain, the way the artist uh, did the, the lighting with the paint. Oh my God, just perfect, gorgeous. And then the, the spread when Spider-Man's fighting Cyclone in the casino. I, uh, comic book art doesn't get better than this. You know, if if you think that Alex Ross is the end-all be-all for painted superheroics, you know, do yourself a favor, spend the $3 to buy this in physical and j- like, and just thumb through it even even from thumb through it through the store and like just really just take in how beautiful the art is in this i i mean i agree i think it's a really gorgeous comic um what's funny is i mean i think a lot of people's minds do jump to alex ross 
But in my mind, the art in here felt more reminiscent of a European sort of like heavy metal kind of thing just with Spider-Man in it. And um, it, a lot of that's in the lighting. I, I feel like Alex Ross would have taken the time, like on that car hood scene you pointed out, to have some sort of glare across the windshield. Whereas here, that's taken away so you can just get a clear shot of Spider-Man in one of the more dynamic scenes of the story. Yeah, yeah. I only, I only use Alex Ross just because he's been painting Spider-Man covers since the start of Volume 4 and very much on the forefront of people's minds. And then his, he also, you know, teams up with Mark Wade and did Kingdom Come, which was a massive comic just in superheroics. So definitely, definitely. I've heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard of him. Uh, yeah, I didn't mean to, mean to make comparison there other than the fact that, you know, they're, they're both painted works. No, it's an apt comparison, though. If we wanted to talk that, I think um, Alex Ross's work in Marvels may be a little more comparable here. Because this is very much playing with um, how Spider-Man's normally rendered in a certain way. Because Alex Ross would make sure that there's wrinkles in the costume that that fabric was felt wherever his models kind of would have had it. Whereas this was playing true to how Spider-Man would look in a comic, but with a painted feel. And that's just, it's a notable difference that we don't get to see too often because we don't get as many painted comics, especially on the side of the pond. I wish we would, but I completely understand why not. I mean, this, this must have taken years to do. I remember from the afterword in that aforementioned Scottish Spider-Man story, which I'm going to remember in like three days and see if I can like sneak in an edit so I can name it. Uh, but the artist mentioned that it took two years to finish what was, I think, like a 60 page comic. And this is this is 90 or like 89 or 88 or something. So, you know, I, I wish we could get more like this, but I completely understand why we don't. Right. I completely agree, though, when we do get an offering like this, it sure is a treat. All right. So we should probably dig into more the meat of the story now, discussing what indeed is the family business that happened in this story. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, this one takes a page from the uh, Amazing Spider-Man annual, what is it, number five, where, Sp right. where Spider-Man goes to Morocco, and, and so it's it's the, the those weird outlier Spider-Man stories that become, like, spy thrillers. So th there's definitely a, a history there, like, th this isn't out of nowhere. Th there are these elements in the character's history and background. But I, I feel like that, that was the major sticking point for a lot of people reading this, was that this was not a Spider-Man story. It was a spy thriller, almost like a Steranko, you know, Nick Fury, you know, director of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of thing. What did you think about the spy aspects? Did you think it was too far outside of the Spider-Man, like, wheelhouse? Or... Or did you feel like it worked for you? So this is a little bit outside of the wheelhouse, but I, I think that's the fun part of this comic. Because if this was just another Spider-Man story told as normal, it wouldn't have felt like anything special necessarily. And by bringing in this bit of Spider-Man's history through his parents being super spies, essentially, and him having to 
live a certain aspect of that life and that history that isn't often touched upon, I feel is interesting and brings something to this book and also makes it marvel is pushing this as a bit of an event i i feel like this is something that could be easily adapted into a short little movie or something this is a very round script there's a very definitive beginning middle and end to this short story definitely and i i think you have a point there when you say that like if it was just another regular spider-man story it would be uh, you know, it wouldn't be as special because going back to those other painted Spider-Man graphic novels, uh, Hookie and Spirits of the Earth. That's what it is. Spider-Man Spirits of the Earth. Uh, Hookie, Spider-Man goes through like a dimensional door and fights a giant flesh monster. They call it a thunder cockroach. It looks nothing like that. Uh Spirits of the Earth, um, you know, they end up in Scotland. Uh, this one, it's a spy thriller. So uh, I, I think I think there, there's definitely a point there that like these exploring the very edges of the Spider-Man, you, you know, uh, pushing the boundaries of what it means to be a Spider-Man story makes these special. But I think the way this succeeds in ways that uh, Spears of the Earth and uh, Hookie does not, is that there's there's very much a focus on Peter Parker and the family in this and, and him exploring the concept of family and what the concept of family means to him as a person. And you get a little bit of that in Spears of the Earth uh, just because it's a Mary Jane story, but not like you get here. And that that personal little like flair, I think, is what really helps tie this story back to the greater Spider-Man uh, oeuvre rather than just uh, a wacky, pulpy spy story about Nazi gold and brainwashing, which just so happens to also have Spider-Man in it. I, I think that's a tight take. And so I, I feel like the general moves of the story are really enjoyable. And what was interesting, I forgot to mention when we were talking about art, is when I was looking over uh, general reviews of this story from all the usual suspects of comic reviewing sites, uh, I found a couple that mentioned that this uh, story and art was um, respectful and that it was Dicko-esque. And then other sites said it was respectful for being Romita-esque. And I just found that hilarious because I don't think you could really necessarily pull either. They're incomparable. Like one, like I feel like if you could say something was Ditko-esque, you most certainly couldn't say it was Ramita-esque and vice versa. Like they're two very different styles. Like, you know, Ditko was a very harsh and gangly and almost uncanny and romita was clearly had a background in romance comics you know everyone is either like a beefcake or a doll and you know you didn't really get that here i felt i you know if anything like i said like i felt like this pulled from Sterenko and just just the super spy aspects the really slick costumes uh, especially the flashback images of Peter's parents just really harken back to that those old spy Marvel comics. Right, and for that, I, I think we're beating around the bush about how we get into the spy heroics here, and we need to address kind of the biggest aspect of this book, which is Teresa Parker. So 
what is your feelings about Teresa Parker in general in the context of this book? Okay, in the context of this book, and I'm going to have to go back to the first time I read this, because I feel like after seeing the character in continuity and Spectacular, I don't mind it as much. Um, but the first time I read this, it definitely threw me out of the comic, which is like, really? He secretly had a sister? Like, that's... Like, I mean, I realize that superheroics and superhero comics are, are like soap operas with people punching other people in tights. But like that's it, it's 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 just so rote to have like a secret sibling and they kind of do an OK job selling it. Um, you know, clearly Peter doesn't buy it, but he's he's through the through the strength of his moral character he doesn't want to be outright rude to this person and then kind of slowly gets pulled into it and thinks about well maybe maybe she's right maybe there is something to this um but as far as just the concept of a secret sibling like uh come on i i agree with that wholeheartedly i always have a problem when they try to bring in some forced retconned uh blood relative situation into any story it's a pet peeve of mine because it's such an artificial way to try to draw a connection between characters without ever actually building any connection between them and i'd much rather have a natural built relationship in any comic it may be lighter but at least you know it's a story told on its own merits at that point and Teresa parker especially in this book kind of swings in out of nowhere in a car yelling at peter parker to get away in the middle of this situation, which she, you know, we know he could have gotten out of anyways. So there's no real tension there. But he's swept into this whole spy thing and his, and dealing with his history, which is rough because we don't get the full brunt of that because we're almost to have assumed that we've read these other stories that cover uh, his parents' past and someone understands that they're secret spies i don't think if i had read some of those issues prior i would have been able to parse this comic as well i definitely remember the first time i read i read this thinking like is this the second part of a story that i missed uh, like is, was there another graphic novel that kind of covered more um i remember having trouble piecing it together i think part of that also is just reading this comic by itself and without the the knowledge that in, you know, six years time or five years time, however it was, that it would eventually get rolled into continuity. This is a story that kind of like Marvel Knights is clearly made without the constraints of continuity in mind. Like like uh, Robinson and Wade were clearly kind of given carte blanche to do whatever they wanted without having to worry about altering continuity. And so it made it confusing for me reading because clearly, I mean, the issues with the Kingpin made reference to things that were happening in Marvel continuity at that time. But I was not sure if I was supposed to read this as a side story to amazing, uh, amazing Spider-Man, or if it was just su supposed to be an out of continuity graphic novel, just for the heck of it. I understand where you're coming from on that, but at the same point, this book, when we get to the end, takes such lengths to ensure that everything has a round ending like this could easily fit into continuity because 
initially it has no consequence on continuity because there's such a tight bow wrapped on it right and then when it's put into continuity the bow kind of gets torn up because Teresa at the end of this comic is oh well it was all part of the kingpin's plan like i'm not actually your sister and my memory gets wiped and then you have the epilogue with the the not butler type the the mission handler whatever he was uh being like oh i guess he was or she was his sister or something like that like some sort of ambiguous ending right but even bigger to the continuity that we haven't touched on again is in the course before this comic takes place, Kingpin is hip to the fact that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, and he concocts this whole scheme with a supposed sister to try to get at Spider-Man and, re- and ties it into this whole Nazi gold mecha story, you know, this lost Hydra bounty not nazi really. no 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 they, they say they say nazi is 100 nazi they also say hydra too don't they at one point or am i misremembering that no no you're 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 remembering there's a scene where they've uh where richard and mary are fighting hydra but uh the the gold is nazi gold oh. like when they when they do the 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 raiders of the lost ark thing and open it up like a big swastika shows up and i was thinking well that's that's Wonder right, Hulk. but the, the, <laughs> there's a giant robot uh, Spider-Man needs to fight that's kind of an amalgamation of the stuff from Dr. Octopus, Scorpion, and a Spider-Slayer, which is Hydra. But but anyway, going back to your point, like that's that's not how exactly I read or I read this one uh, as far as the Kingpin's plot. My understanding was that he, he didn't know that Peter Parker and Spider-Man were the same person until Spider-Man shows up and then pulls the mask off to open up the crypt. Uh, it was that he knew that Richard Parker was required to open up the uh, tomb, and he knew that Peter Parker was a journalist, which he had run-ins with in the past, and then concocted the story to kind of manipulate him, but didn't find out that he was Spider-Man until the very end. I might have conflated that because it's a bit, it's a tiny bit of a plot hole that he could concoct this around the idea that Peter Parker would be a part of this with his history, but then have to bring in Spider-Man anyways. It's definitely like, uh, wasn't super clear. I remember also being confused about it on my first read but the second read in preparation for this podcast it 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 seemed a little bit clearer but i'm I'm definitely i'm definitely with you on it's it's a little convenient and a little not clear like uh, the the narrative isn't super clear at that point right and to that i i mean this narrative is a little more confused also it took me the second reading to get past this whole peter parker as a sister thing because the first time I read this, I balked at that so heavily that I think I, I skimmed past a lot of this other comic and just kind of put it away thinking, like, they tried to sell Spider-Man having a sister for no good reason, then it wasn't a sister, because of course it wasn't, and then you put it away, and only to find that that becomes something of a continuity point later on, which... Again, I want to point out, that's really the negative point of this comic in my mind. Overall, this is a fun read, and beautifully rendered, but it's hard to ignore that this book is primarily going to be remembered for introducing Teresa Parker. Yeah. Especially because 
she's the weakest element of the story because the spy the spy thriller elements i think are the strongest ones just the 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 whirlwind tour the the exotic locales the you know the the high stakes the especially the casino scene i mean you can't have a good spy anything without a a, a casino brawl i mean a- am i wrong <laughs> you're not wrong and in that there's my favorite scene where uh, Spider-Man is fighting around with this new Cyclone. And to hide his identity, because he realizes Teresa at this point doesn't know that he's Spider-Man, he puts on this quote-unquote French accent. (laughs) Which is about as bad as any Gambit portmanteau that you'd read in a Marvel comic. Well, I, I think it's supposed to be bad, like kind of like put on on the fly. But yeah, I, I just felt like Spider-Man in this one was also very witty. He wasn't funny so much as like there was like a razor sharp wit to a lot of the dialogue. And I think that also really helps sell the James Bond feel of the story in that like it's a lot of the the dialogue is Bondian if I can use that term there's definitely some Bond play and I have to say like sometimes the Spider-Man jokes don't land I was laughing out loud at this one especially that French moment which they do bring up later Teresa brings up when she discovers he's Spider-Man you don't speak (laughs) a word of French do you was her quote Mm -hmm. Uh, so they're definitely playing on that and I I just I love that whole churn, and I love the way Spider-Man's done this comic. And I do agree with you, Teresa does kind of end up being the weakest element in this comic, but she's the hook to get him into the spy thing. Right. Well, yeah, like, she, she's a plot convenience. And and I, I think, I feel like they might have sold the relationship a little bit better than I think you might have. Uh, you can correct me. But it seems like you weren't really completely sold on their relationship. And I, th- I think I was a little bit more than you were. But definitely just, it's just a weak element. Just because like you can never get past secret sister. Like secret sibling. No matter how hard you try, it's always going to be like the albatross. Well, there's a moment when they reach the secret spy cabin where they have their bonding moment. Where they're allowed to play like siblings. But the moment we get past that and Kingpin kind of plays his cards on the table, Spider-Man immediately says, of course, I, you know, it was this whole thing and it was a setup for you to get to me. And I think that's a interesting play in this book. Like, I didn't believe it as strongly, but I also feel that's part of the story as we go along in and of itself, because they know you're not necessarily going to buy this thing. And because it's wrapped up in Spy and Subterfuge, that is very likely to become an element by the time we get to the conclusion. They they play on that. So another aspect I liked about this story is we go through the different arcs of the story. We see wardrobe changes. So unlike most comic books where Peter Parker has his Peter Parker outfit and Spider-Man has a Spider-Man outfit even, or the Kingpin or Teresa, everybody gets a different wardrobe as they move through. And so we see Kingpin with his covered um, Hawaiian shirt to um, something maybe a little more sensible early in. Uh, Spider-Man has his red and black costumes throughout the story. Peter Parker goes through a mess of outfit changes. One of the few times we get to see him in a full-on tux, going back to that Bondian feel. 
and Teresa has a full gown to uh, spy gear to kind of more casual wear and she's in New York. And it's a touch that gives some more texture to the story and tells more about the setting in any given moment with the facial reactions in contrast to what they're wearing, which really adds to the storytelling in the art atop just, you know, the script pushing that along. And it was something I really noticed in this comic because we don't get to see it as often. Well, I mean, like that and on top of that, it also just sells the passage of time, which you don't really see much in comics. Like what says a day has changed more than someone wearing different clothes? I, I really loved kingpin's hawaiian shirt both on the cover and the multiple ones he wears uh in this i think he should wear more hawaiian shirts i think he should really lean into the the whole like big guy in a hawaiian shirt thing i i think it adds a dimension to the character that's endearing and I, i agree with you it's definitely a fun take on the character and he wears a crazy shirt in the last little sequence that's a little more um doesn't it have like a spider on the back or something or like a scorpion or something right it's one of those like bad guy with a you know bad bug on its shirt but in comparison Mm -hmm. to when spider-man's wearing his black suit it was a really interesting choice that i definitely noted it it was Mm -hmm. it was a fun way to play up some of the tension with a very subtle choice i think though that shirt is anything but subtle (laughs) fierce some might say (laughs) slay kingpin slay (laughs) okay oh boy so now that we've kind of reached the end here how do you feel this book rests within the greater spider-man lore i touched upon it when we started this you know it definitely harkens back to amazing fantasy or i'm sorry uh amazing spider-man annual number five (laughs) and there's definitely a history of spy thriller elements especially you know in locales outside the united states which i I feel like even dan slot kind of tried to touch on with the whole parker industry things um but that's that's for another show i would say it fits I, i i think it fits within that tradition and again by really examining Peter's relationship with his family and how he feels about his aunt and uncle and the, uh, versus his parents, it's just that that's very that's very Peter Parker. That's very Spider Man. So I didn't feel like it was something completely out of step. Okay, so I I want to bring up the fact that this really leads into where we're at with Spectacular Spider Man currently because Teresa is a main character, mm-hmm. and at the end of this book, it's really dubious. It really basically says she wasn't the sister all along, that it was just a play by the Kingpin. That's been revealed it's... to not be so in the continuity sense. Well, until you get to the epilogue, which which is kind of an ambiguous thing. But so so in the epilogue, the uh, the mission handler has like a, a teacup that Teresa was drinking from and runs some sort of test and looks at it like, oh, well, that's interesting. So it like it seems it, like it's an ambiguous ending, but it seems to imply that she is, in fact, the the sister. You're right. Um, there's also a bit where Miss Parker says three, huh? Implying yet another. Right. But but reading that within the context of this comic that that epilogue and that ambiguity does nothing for the story 
it, it does nothing for the story. And I remember being so mad reading it, just thinking like, why put this here? What does this add to the story? And like what it adds is later, you know, Gips, Chips Darsky can throw this character into his into his comic. But in the context of just this and reading this in 2013, I think it, it does nothing. So like, you're right. Um, and beyond that, Teresa Parker being a character coming in later definitely plays the larger lore. This introduces her. We've covered that in length. But to the point of family and connection, there's a small bit in here we didn't talk about before where Peter calls Aunt May and asks about whether or not his parents ever considered another child. Just a very, in a way it's a subtle thing, but also him just calling her up out of the blue to be like, hey, did my parents ever think about having another kid? And her being like, don't you ever think you were enough? And of course not. Which was kind of a human element. It, I... I'm between whether or not that feels human or forced, because I could definitely see that. Like, the way the conversation's written feels human, but the way it's shoved into this comic feels a bit forced. But what gets to me is in Spectacular, Teresa never really talks to Aunt Mace, so there's this whole family connection within continuity that they've never really brought up. Yeah, you know, you know you're right. Like, I, I, I never really thought about it but they don't talk and aunt may is a character in in that story i mean she puts up the uh hofney hofney mason so do you feel this story is a hidden gem or do you feel this is a story you don't want to hear about so much because it features a man who spends a lot of time getting physical with people in anthropomorphic animal suits (laughs) (laughs) all right well that's one way to ask that this is a really hard question for this issue, though. Or, I'm mean, sorry, this this graphic novel, because I'm so on the fence on it. I mean, I don't want to cop out and say, you know, for the price point, it's worth it. And for the art, it's worth it. But for the story, it's not. But that's how I feel. <laughs> Buying this at $25, you know, new off the shelf... I probably would have been mad, but buying this on clearance, I wasn't. Uh, and so for the, like the readers now who probably aren't going to buy this at full sticker price, it's definitely worth it to have to own for the art. And I don't want to say that the art isn't worth full sticker price because I definitely think it is. It's just that the story itself is so pulled down by this secret sibling like plot like it's just it's i I don't want to say like it's a hack thing to do but it's just it's it's such a cliche um and and it's it's hard to get past it so as far as whether or not this is a hidden gem or this should remain untold I'm, i'm gonna say like i normally give you know my caveats when i do this um you know if you like collecting graphic novels like i do or you know you really appreciate painted painted comic book art this is 100 percent a gem if you're looking if if you don't care about that kind of stuff if you're just looking for a spider-man story stay far far away like this is not a spider-man story (laughs) that's funny so i'm much softer on this one i feel um Mm -hmm. i think the art alone is definitely worth picking up i want to point out even in its day because i bought this in its time Mm -hmm. um if you bought it online which i feel was part of the price point at the time and that marvel had already been starting to work around that 
that uh, you were going to be getting some sort of a discount. So about nobody ever bought this for the full sticker price. And so I don't know. I don't want to factor price too much into this. I, I feel this is a gorgeous piece of art to look at. I feel like the story's fun. The introduction of Teresa Parker is a bit weak, but there are some endearing moments with her throughout this comic. A, um, in the uh, in, in the little spy shack when they get to be siblings, and a little bit later when she discovers he's Spider-Man as they go through. I think it's fun. I, I think there's some really cool stuff and some great action throughout. This isn't the strongest Spider-Man story, but I know you can find it cheap now if you haven't already. I mean, a lot of people I imagine would just be reading it on Limited. You know, take the time. This is a fun little bit. It has its continuity ties, and it is just gorgeous to look at. It's one of the few stories I would put art before story, making it worth it. But in this case, it's such an exception. You You owe it to yourself to look at that. And before we move on, I do want to make one small point about Unlimited. And I I know I know you've got your opinions on this, Matt, but it's very difficult to navigate Marvel Unlimited. And the only way I was actually able to find this comic on Unlimited was to search Google for, you know, Amazing Spider-Man Family Business. And then Google was able to pull the page for this. But if you go to like the series search, it's not there. If you go on the mobile uh, app, it's not there. So literally the only way you can find this is if you do a Google search. And this is just what I've started doing for uh, whenever we look up these these comics and see if it's on unlimited or not. Is you, you have to look, you search, search it for Google, find it find the result on the marvel.com result and then add it to the add it to your library and then you can read it on your tablet or phone um that that's that's an entirely different rant um but i i got i got strong opinions about marvel unlimited it's great when it's great but it is awful when it's awful um to quote peter parker in the face of the red goblin me <laughs> we're gonna have to bleep that <laughs> but uh yeah yeah i i know i know you have very strong opinions about uh the way unlimited works so i just wanted to bring that to your attention and everyone else who's listening to it uh to this right now anyway well i just wanted to say thank you for bringing that up i'm sure the you know our listeners find that useful that's a uh that that's worth its gold in the time it took to listen to, because that's a sad fact for Marvel Unlimited, but there's more content out there for you if you subscribe to the service, apparently, which is very Marvel Unlimited is the <laughs> way I will put that. Anyway, uh, enough, enough beating on them. Let's go to letter grades. Uh, Matt, what's, what's going to be your letter grade for this one? I'm going to give it a C+. Plus. I kind of want to just give it like a see me after class, um, you know, <laughs> we'll just, we'll discuss, we'll discuss how you kind of uh, skirted around the assignment and did your own thing. But if, if I really have to get like nailed down to some sort of letter grade, we're nailing you down to Dan's dungeon for the mistakes you made, <laughs> and you have to put down a letter grade. Uh, C 
minus story, A plus art. Uh, that's, oh, that's, speaking that's, of skirting. <laughs> that, that's going to be my, my, my dodge. Uh, you know, it's half my show, so they're half my rules. <laughs> All right now, ladies and gentlemen, we are proud to introduce a new segment to the untold talks of Spider-Man. Something that will revolutionize your Spider-Man podcasting experience from here forward. Are you ready for the ranking board? <laughs> bum, bum, bum. We are proud to introduce the Web of Rankings. <laughs> Is that the name we landed on? <laughs> Until we find a better one. <laughs> hey, I like it. <laughs> Uh, basically the idea is that Matt and I wanted, you know, if we're going to be going through and listing whether or not these stories should be remembered or not, we want to just go all in and put up a ranking board so you guys can go in and take a look and see what the latest comic we look at where we rank it upon all of the ones we've covered is will it be arbitrary at points yes will matt and i probably argue way too long about where some of them are placed yes will it be fun to listen to you bet your ass (laughs) do we have to bleep you now for all we know, we're talking about a very beloved donkey that you just keep putting bets on. Um, I love the Clerk Sue reference, then. <laughs> there we go. Okay, to introduce this, I feel the best way to start would be to go through in the order that we have covered these books. So to start, which do you prefer? Marvel Knights Spider-Man or Soul of the Hunter? Marvel Knights. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Already we disagree. <laughs> Already we disagree. Which one's number one on our list to start? Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna put I'm gonna put pumping up uh, web of eighty eighty two uh, as, okay. as number one. I will agree to pumping up being our number one thus far, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to be part of the fun is our list because of because of the nature of the books that we can cover. Um, we don't get to talk about the golden gems of spider-man history so our number one is going to have a bit more contention our top five is going to have a lot more contention than other lists because we don't get to go to the all-time greats so i think that'll keep it more lively i really want us to get picked up by an aggregate and so like then like and here's this top five spider-man comics like everyone's like what is this like what are these comics anyway so web of is gonna be or i'm sorry web of 82 pumping up pumping up is number one we we can agree on that and then you would say what would you say number two is then number two i'd say with marvel knights Uh, okay and your number three would be uh family business wow okay so here's the problem for my money, Marvel Knights is at dead last. <laughs> We're gonna have to compromise on this. Okay. Okay. Well, what 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 elements do you think are stronger in Soul of the Hunter that puts it above Marvel Knights? 
I like the fact that Soul of the Hunter deals with a obvious trauma of Spider-Man being buried alive and addressing that. I, I like where it fits in continuity, and despite the fact that it was something of a forced story after the fact, um, that it, it brought in the talent, and it told this story a very spiritual tale in a way that was a Spider-Man story that is unlike any other Spider-Man story told. It's it's a bizarre tale. It just endears me for the uh, the spectacle that it is in some way, I feel. Whereas Marvel Knights, to me, feels a bit more like a, a hack job. Okay, no, that, that that's that's fair. I see where you're coming from. And I mean, I, I think the difference for me is that the disjointed elements of Soul of the Hunter is, is what, what puts it number four rather than number three. Not saying that, that Marvel Knights didn't have its own disjointed elements, but you still got the story about the Green Goblin and his plot. And that's that story was still competently told. I'm not sure if the story of Spider-Man battling for Craven Craven's immortal soul because it committed suicide was something that was competently told as an A plot. So we're we're gonna have to come to some sort of conclusion here. I, the main problem here is really I I have a love for Soul of the Hunter, you just don't, apparently. Because I care about Craven. <laughs> All right. Okay. How about how about this? I'll concede Soul of the Hunter and to number three, Marvel Knights to number four. Who? If 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 we're we're good with Soul of the Hunter being number three rather than number two, that puts number one pumping up. Number two, Family Business. Number three is Marvel Knights. Or I'm sorry. Number three is Soul of the Hunter. Number four is uh, Marvel Knights. Wow. All right. That's our list then. But before we close out on the list, I, I just want to... Uh, do you have any notes on why you want to put Pumping Up on number one right now? Because I feel like we should maybe play that a little lip service. Because there's no disagreement from either of us. Well, I, I think Pumping Up being number one... I don't... I don't see pumping up staying at number one for any particular length of time. It's number one just because the other three stories that we've listened to are very out there. Um, you know, they're, they're very particular stories. I mean, one is a sequel. One is a spy thriller. One is a 12-part story. Um, pumping up is, is pretty much the only bread-and-butter sp- uh, Spider-Man story we've covered and we're both Spider-Man fans, so of course, you know, the the bread and butter story, which is done competently, is going to outshine, you know, these ones that perhaps tried to do something a little bit outside the box and had their own successes, but none of them really executed uh, what they were going for perfectly. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I just think it's somewhat fascinating that across three stories that most relatively versed Spider-Man fans are very likely to have heard. The one comic that people are most likely to have never heard of before in their lives is our current number one. I, I just feel like there's something magical about that at this moment. So, Well, there you go. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the show. Uh, that, that's, that's what we're trying to do. So, uh, mission accomplished. Um, 
You know, you can put us on the aircraft carrier with the banners, fly the planes. We've done it. Mission accomplished. 2003 political reference right there. All right. Well, we have gone a lot longer than we usually do. So thanks everyone for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe to us via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or describe directly via our RSS feed. Oh, uh, we forgot to mention, we will be putting up our ranking for the, I'm sorry, the, the what, what are we calling it? The web of ranking? The web of ranking, yes. The web of ranking. We will be putting that up on our pinned post on our Twitter so you can always go and find that there. Uh, once once we kind of figure out something uh, a little bit flashier, I'll see about putting it up on uh, the website. But until then, that is where you'll be able to find our ranking. So, yes, anyway, thanks to everyone for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe to us via iTunes, Google Play, Music, Stitcher, or subscribe directly via our RSS feed. If you really enjoyed the show, feel free to give us a review on your platform of choice as it helps our show grow. Uh, If you really, really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a Patreon of the Amazing Spider Talk Patreon. uh, $3.99 a month gets you exclusive access to Matt's and my Spider-Man B-Title reviews, as well as the Amazing Spider Talks reviews of Amazing Spider-Man. You can also pledge $10 a month to receive two commissioned art pieces from Spider-Man artists a year. Uh, The most recent commission was from Ron Friends, and it is gorgeous. I'm sure you guys are tired of hearing me talk about it, but too bad. I'm not tired of looking at it, so I'm going to keep talking about it. Uh, If you want a glimpse into my incredibly boring life post-move, you can check me out on Twitter at KaneWrites. That's W-R-I-T-E-S. One day I'll stop spelling that out for you guys. Uh, Matt, where can our listeners find you? Of course, you can always find me on the Amazing Spider Slack, the premier online chat for spider fans. And of course, you can always find me on the tweeters at Magical Matt. And you can, of course, follow our show's Twitter at Untold Talks SPMN. You can also follow us on Facebook. Just search for Untold Talks of Spider-Man or email us any comments, uh, concerns or missives, recipes, uh, ransom notes, anything you want. You can email us at untoldtalksofspiderman at gmail.com. Just a friendly reminder, there is no hyphen in that Spider-Man because Gmail wouldn't let me. Uh, I think that just about does it for today's episode. Uh, Coming up next episode, we will be discussing Amazing Spider-Man number 505, a.k.a. Vibes. So, uh... I believe that's it. Matt, do you want to hit us with that outro? All right. What a beaut of an episode. So, until Teresa Parker becomes Iron Man's secretary, make mine untold. That's why JJ pays me the big bucks. Say cheese!